Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 6. Some of you are wondering what you got yourselves into this morning. So are we. We're in this series called Summer Camp. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus interacting with people. And we're going to continue that this morning. We're going to see him interact with some people in one of his favorite places to interact with people, uh, in the synagogue, in church. You know, this Sunday marks uh, the beginning of our fourth year, kind of like as an entity, as a church organization. We officially launched in October of 16, and so that's kind of what we call our birthday. But we started meeting and praying um, this Sunday, uh, now this will be the beginning of our fourth year. And it's amazing how even in just three years, you, uh, we begin to have rhythms, systems, traditions. Uh, you sit in the same seat. You expect certain things when you show up on each Sunday, like worship first and then teaching. You know, there's little things that you expect to happen in a service. There's things that you expect me to say, like the scriptures as relevant today as it's ever been, or hi, my name is Stephen, for those of you who don't know me, right? Yeah, there's certain phrases that are used over and over. And others of us, we didn't grow up here at Redemption, or we haven't been here the last couple of years, but maybe you grew up in systems where it was 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, or 50 years of just another Sunday. Just another Sunday where you showed up to church and you did the things that you were supposed to do and you expected the things that you expected to happen and then they did and then you left and then you came back the next week. And Sunday after Sunday turned into month after month and year after year and decade after decade. And these rituals and these systems and these practices and these preferences and these procedures, they're not bad. In fact, most of them are vessels uh, in which God pours out his spirit right? The, the patterns that we've set up, most of them were established for a reason. Some of the patterns that we do have been practiced for literally 2,000 years, and those aren't bad. In fact, there's much value and beauty in them. But also along the way, patterns, practices, and procedures and things begin to enter into faith life or church life that aren't really rooted in necessarily scripture, but more tradition. And over time, those practices, patterns, preferences can actually become so elevated that they forget the point. They forget the point. So this morning, we're gonna look at a story about Jesus reminding some churchgoers what the point is. And during this story, I'm going to ask you guys five questions, five questions that the story brings up, five questions that uh, I think uh, the, the answer will either be for you personally, or you need to see the answer in order to understand what Jesus was trying to do in this particular story. And so here we are, right in Luke chapter six, verse six through 11. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. It says, on another Sabbath... Just another Sabbath, just another Sunday, a Sunday like was every other Sunday before it, a, a Sunday where the Sunday before they had shown up and uh, you know the things that had happened had happened in the synagogue on just another one of those, just another Sabbath. Jesus is in there and he's doing what Jesus does. He entered the synagogue and he was teaching. 
Because that's what Jesus does. He teaches. And so Jesus is in there teaching on the synagogue like he would have on any particular Sunday. It says, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So here's the first question. What do you expect when you show up on Sunday? What do you expect? Do you expect me to be wearing holes in my jeans? Right? Do you expect uh, a certain attire? Others of you, you grew up in a culture where if the pastor wasn't wearing this, uh, they would get fired, or this was considered way too casual. Like, where's your tie? And that's what you came to expect. And others of us, we have different expectations. You know, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to have to stand up and say hi to somebody I don't know, and I'm going to hate that moment, right? That's an expectation. Or there's an expectation that there's going to be three songs and not four songs or four songs and not five songs. Or I hate the weeks where they do five songs instead of four songs because then I have to stand a lot longer than normal. And we built in these expectations and we have these expectations like it needs to end at this time because if it doesn't end at this time, then the other churches get out before us and they get the table at the restaurant or Costco line. And so we have these built-in expectations. And so Jesus is there on just another Sabbath and he's teaching because that's what Jesus does. He teaches on Sabbath in the synagogue. And while Jesus is teaching on Sabbath in the synagogue, in walks a man. And so this guy just walks in and he walks into the the synagogue and it says his right hand is withered. Now, Mark and Luke, I'm sorry, Mark and Matthew also talk about this story and neither of them mentioned the fact that his right hand was withered. Most commentators think Luke does because he's a doctor and so he cares about these types of details. There's another writing that's written about this time that's non-canonical, but uh, respected and revered. And it says that this man uh, was a mason or he worked with his hands. Now, the conjecture in there is that most of these people were right-handed. And so into another day of church, another day of Sabbath, in walks a guy with a withered right hand, or let's say it in a better way. In walks a guy with an inability to work anymore. In walks a guy with an inability to take care of his family anymore. Let's make it a little more universal. In walks a person who's majorly stressed out. In walks somebody who's carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. In walks somebody who doesn't know where to turn because life is not going the way they thought it would go. And that guy walks into church on this Sunday. Just another Sunday. And so on just another Sunday, this particular dude with the withered right hand walks into church and he sees this rabbi who maybe he's heard about, maybe he hasn't, we don't know, a Nazarene Jesus is up on stage and he's teaching. And so he walks in and that guy's teaching and he's got the withered right hand or the weight of the world is on his shoulders. I wonder what he expected when he walked in that day. I wonder if his expectation was, well, man, I hope somebody says hi to me. I hope someone encourages me. I hope the music's good. Maybe this guy was looking for something deeper to happen that day. Maybe the man who had the weight of the world on his shoulders, the super stressed out mom, the uh, super worried fill in the blank was hoping that on this particular day, on this particular day, something different what happened at church. So the man with the withered hand walks in to church 
And who does he see? A bunch of churchgoers. Go figure. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Some of you are like, I was new to church once, <laughs> and so I know what this feels like when you're the guy that walks in and it feels like everyone's watching you. So that's this guy today. He walks in and he feels like everyone's watching him. Why? Because, well, partly <laughs> they are. And so they're watching. And they're watching him and they're watching Jesus. They're watching him and they're watching Jesus. And they're wondering what's going to happen. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he, now that he here is Jesus, would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. That line, so that they might find a reason to accuse him, is like, there's a sermon in there that we probably can't get into today. But just remember that their objective in there was to see Jesus do something good and then call good bad, which is bad. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, him being Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, in order to understand the full uh, intensity of this text, we have to understand a little bit more um, the Jewish custom of Sabbath. You probably are familiar with the Ten Commandments. The fourth of those Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And so one of the 10 things when God talked to Moses and said, tell this to the people on how they ought to live their lives, the fourth one of those was remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. On the seventh day, God rested after he created everything. And so the Sabbath is of great importance. And once the Ten Commandments were passed down and then the rest of the law was written, they created oral tradition around the law. And as they created oral tradition around the law, this wasn't a bad thing. And probably unbeknownst to all of us, the law wasn't uh, probably quite as strict or rigid as we think. In other words, there was a little bit of room for interpretation as the centuries went beyond, but the rabbis would give their commentary on the Torah, and then those traditions would get passed down from generation to generation. So uh, four or 5,000 years since the Ten Commandments had been written, now the Pharisees, who are the keepers of the law, the keepers of the tradition... Remember, the whole um, narrative of Jesus and the Pharisees, and we've seen them back and forth like a dozen times. Uh, well, not a dozen, because we've only had four weeks in the series. But we've seen them keep showing up, and we're going to uh, see them keep showing up more and more. And every time they show up, we seem to always look at the Pharisees and say, they're the bad guys. They don't understand it. They don't get it. How stupid. Remember, they thought they were preserving the faith. They thought they were preserving the tradition. They thought they were the good guys. And so like, we got to keep the Sabbath. Now, as the um, years went down, so Jesus, or not Jesus, God tells Moses the four commandments and Moses comes down and everyone freaks out. And so he tells him down, then they give them to him again. He goes down there, he tells him the fourth one, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And that passed down. Now, generationally later and later and later, what the Pharisees had done had interpreted the Sabbath and they had these moments where the Sabbath law contradicted or came into conflict with other things. One of them was healing. See, in their mind, to heal was to work and to work was to disobey Sabbath. So what they did is they took all the commentary on the Torah and they passed it down from generation to generation. And they arrived at this point where they said, okay, let's just prioritize since there are always going to be contradictions or conflict in life. And this is what we'll do. We'll say Sabbath law because it's the 10 commandment is right here. Healing is right here. So we'll just tell people we don't heal on Sabbath. It's okay. There's six days a week that you can do this. But on Sabbath, this is what we do. We adhere to Sabbath law. 
And this is how, through their interpretation, how they arrive at their conclusion. And so that was the practice. You don't heal on Sabbath because you don't work on Sabbath. And so this was their idea. And now they see this man walking in, this man who's in desperate need, and he's walking into church with his desperate need. So they might find a reason to accuse him. That's what they were doing. Now it says this, but he knew their thoughts. Who knew their thoughts? Jesus. Jesus knew their thoughts. In other words, what Jesus knew is how they interpreted the Torah and how they had laid out their preferences. And Jesus, because he's brilliant, we'll see it in a moment, even knew how it was that they had arrived at the priorities that they had arrived at. And he knew what their thoughts were in that moment. And their thought was this, that the tradition and the law and what we have decided is right for our people is most important. This person experiencing what he needs to experience or she needs to experience on this particular day is secondary. And Jesus knew that. So he looks in and he sees their hearts and he knows what they're getting at. Now, I don't know at this point if everyone was just kind of looking back. Jesus, the man, Jesus, the man, right? And you get the Pharisees and the scribes and there's probably also some innocent bystanders who are also there as well wondering what's about to happen. What's about to happen on this particular day of church? So Jesus looks at the man. He says, hey, you, come and stand here. This is what he says to the man. So he brings the man up, apparently, like right in front of everybody else. Like if I brought one of you down here in front of everyone else, we had a problem going on in your life right now. And I just said, why don't you just come and stand right next to me in front of everybody? Might feel a little awkward, maybe a little embarrassing. Why did Jesus bring the guy up? Why did Jesus bring the guy up right in front of everybody? Here's why I think he did it. I think Jesus brings the man with the withered hand, which is a very obvious issue. Right? I mean, they saw it as he walked in, a man with the withered hand walked in. Everyone knew the withered hand. So Jesus brings the man with the withered hand. They would have known this guy, and so they would have known what his withered hand meant and the inability he now had to take care of his children. They would have known that he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, and they said, why don't you come up in front of everybody and just stand here? Look at him. Look at him. Look at her. Look at her stress. Look at her worry. Look at her pain. Look at his shame. Look at the agony. Look at the obvious urgent need that this man has. Look at it. See it with your own eyes. See the, the problem. And the man just stands there in front of him. And you know what doesn't happen? None of them change their mind. They just look at the man with the very clear issue. They just look at the obvious hurting person and they think to themselves, ah, no. The plan, the preferences, the procedures, the policies, the patterns, those are more important. Those are more important than this guy. Let's just keep following the plan. Let's keep following the procedures. I want to stick to my preferences that I've always had. 
That's more important than this guy. Now, what happens next? Jesus says, come and stand here. The guy rose and stood there. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, the question itself in there uh, is, it's an important question, but we're not going to get into the necessarily the words of the question as into the idea of what Jesus was doing. Because what Jesus is doing right there in asking that question is he's rewinding all of the tradition and he's going back to the very beginning when the tradition was given out. And he's saying this, I too remember better than you guys do, when God gave Moses those 10 commandments and said that the, uh, the Sabbath was a good thing that you should adhere to. And nowhere does Jesus defy the Sabbath. Nowhere does Jesus say Sabbath is bad. Nowhere does Jesus instruct anyone else not to Sabbath. In fact, in 2019, all of us should Sabbath. It's a good thing. The Sabbath is about rest. It's about taking a day where we're stopping uh, achieving and accumulating and, uh, and, and trying to get, get, get and earn, earn, earn. And the Sabbath is a moment where you rest and you relax and you worship and you enjoy. And if Sabbath sounds boring to you, you either have a workaholic problem or you don't know how to Sabbath properly because it's a good thing. And nowhere in here does Jesus say it's a bad thing. What Jesus does say is you arrived at this conclusion by interpreting Torah this way and getting right here. And Jesus is looking at them and saying this, bad interpretation leads to bad application, which leads to bad church. And now Jesus is going to say, let me show you how good, or good interpretation leads to good application, which leads to good church. And so when he asks this question, what he's doing is he's blowing up their interpretation of the Torah. He's blowing up how they have arrived at what they've arrived at, preference, procedure, pattern, tradition over people. Now, he doesn't do it right there in that moment, probably because he doesn't have time, but through his question, he really does do it. And what he's saying is, I'm here. I get it. And I know the Torah just as well as you do. And I know the commentators, but let me tell you the true commentary on it. Let me tell you the true understanding of it. That as we go through the generations and as we interpret it properly, and we get here right now into this moment, let me tell you that people matter more than pattern, procedure, policy, or plan. What happens next? Because he just, their minds. He says, after looking around them, at them all. Now, in Luke, we miss something super important, which is why when we study these, you have to look at some of the parallel passages because Mark picks up something that Luke doesn't. What Mark picks up that Luke doesn't, it says that Jesus looked around and was angry at their hardness of heart. He was angry. Question two, what makes Jesus angry? Well, here in this story, we find out here's what makes Jesus angry. When religious people interpret the scripture in such a way that tradition, policy, or procedure becomes more 
important than people. That makes Jesus angry. He says he's angered at their hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart. What was their hardness of heart? He brought them there in front of them. They saw his need. And they still didn't care. This guy came to church for help. And they still didn't care. And this makes Jesus angry. So he looks at them. He says to them, he says to him, he says, after looking around at them, and I think that's the moment where he's looking, he's saying, do any of you get what I just did? Do any of you understand what I just said? Do any of you get that, that your traditions, your preferences, it's not that they're bad, but they're not as important as this living, breathing human being in front of you? Do any of you get it? And none of them get it. And since none of them get it, he looks at the guy and he says, stretch out your hand. The guy stretches out his hand and his hand is restored. And look at how they respond, they being the Pharisees and the scribes, but they were filled with fury. In other words, they were angry too. Now they're angry. Why are they angry? Just because Jesus healed them? I don't think that's why they're angry. I think why they're angry is because Jesus just obliterated their bad interpretation of scripture. And Jesus also told them, your days of elevating your system over my people are done. Your days of thinking you're good and you're holy and you're righteous because you follow a pattern or procedures or a system because you show up on every other Sunday, those days are over. In fact, until you start caring more about people than your system, you don't get it. That's why they're angry. They're not angry just because he healed somebody. They're angry because he looked at them and he said, your patterns and your procedures don't mean a thing when you don't love people. So they're angry. They're angry because Jesus beat them at their own game. He interpreted Torah correctly. Which brings me to my next question. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? The worships after the message today instead of before? That I wore shorts two weeks ago? That we did tug of war. And that there's only one service instead of two. Like, what makes you angry? Is it when your preference gets a little rubbed up against? When the pattern is out of whack? What makes you angry? From this story, let me tell you, I think what should make you angry and if we learn anything from here, we see that anger is not a bad thing. In fact, anger placed at the right thing is an incredible motivator. So I think a couple of things that should make you angry, a couple of things that should make us angry are people lost, not knowing Jesus, are people walking in who are carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders and we get too consumed in what we're doing to care about them. That should make us angry. 
It should make us angry when people look for uh, an opportunity to connect or to, to dive in and can't. It should make us angry that there's a world of people who are caught up in sin and addiction and big questions. Those things should make us angry. And we should point our anger and our energy at the right things. The right things. Because the fourth question is this, what's the point of all of this? I mean, what's the point of all of this? All of this could be all of this here at Redemption, but it could be every other church meeting across our city and state and country. What is the point of all of it? The pattern? The procedure? The system? No. No, we see the point. Where do we see it? Stretch out your hand, and he did, and his hand was restored. His hand was restored. What's the point of all of it? Restoration. Or as we say it around here, redemption. That the point of all of this and the point of everything that we do, the reason people get here at six o'clock to set up, that's just Matthew. The reason everybody else shows up at seven to set up, the reason we do that, the reason you tug a war or have kids ministry or give money or do anything is not for a system, it's not for procedures, it's not for a plan. It's so that people are redeemed. So that when the hurting person walks in to them, it's just not another Sunday. See, this guy, he wouldn't just look back at that and say, oh, it was another Sunday. No, this guy would say, no, that's the Sunday. That was the Sunday that my withered hand was healed, that I got my life back. That was the Sunday that the addiction was snapped. That was the Sunday that I finally heard God's voice. That was the Sunday that I prayed the prayer that I knew I should have prayed a long time ago, but was afraid to pray. And I finally prayed it. It wasn't just another Sunday. That was the Sunday. That's the whole point of all of it. And friends, every time we get caught up or angry at the wrong things, it takes our attention and our focus and our energy away from being angry about the right things. A couple years ago, I was, I was leading student ministries at Cedar Creek at the time, and um, we did this series called Want to Change the World. And we took this famous Tony Kampala quote, He's an evangelist. And the quote says, uh, last night, 26,000 students died and you don't give a ship. He didn't say ship, okay? Tony Kampala is a famous evangelist and he was preaching to a uh, Christian university when he did this. And he said, what's worse is most of you are more angry that I just said ship than you are that 26,000 kids died last night. So we took that quote and we took out ship and we put in damp, but it wasn't damp, if you know what I mean. Everyone got it? And so we took that word. We wanted to lessen it a little bit. We took that word and we put it in the quote, like actually wrote out the word and we put it on an invite card and we told all of our students, pass these out to everybody in your school. And guess what? It was the second best thing we've ever did. I mean, hundreds of kids showed up to that series. New kids. Because they, they, they caught something in, in the phrase. And there were public school teachers telling their like social classes or whatever they were, you should go to this and hear about it. 
And we got all of this momentum. Now, there was one school. I won't say what it was. Not going to say it. One school. I got calls from the principal. I got calls from students. They called me on my office phone like that was still a thing, okay? And they were like, I can't believe you would put a swear word on a church promotion. I knew Cedar Creek wasn't a real church, right? They're saying all of this, and I would just sit there and listen and do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, la di da di da di da And I would sit there very quietly, and then at the end, I would say, did you read the quote? You're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. If you're so caught up over a word, if you're so caught up over a preference, if you're so caught up over a practice, if you're so caught up over a rhythm and you miss the person who walks in with a dire, urgent need, you've missed the whole Points. What Jesus did on that day when he, in their mind, subverted Sabbath law was not a minor infraction. It's like he took the Bible and said, throw it out. That's not what he did, but to them, that's what he did. to bring us to a place that says, okay, so what's the whole point of all of this? Of all of this? Three years of it now. Hopefully three years or 30 years to come. What's the point of all of it? To see the hurting person restored, redeemed, experience redemption. At the very end, the angry churchgoers walk out and they think, now what am I going to do about Jesus? Oh, let's kill him. Like that would help. Which leads us to our last question. So in light of this, what do you do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? Here's what I think we should do. I think we should follow him. I think we should follow him every time he turns the religious leaders upside down. I think we should follow him every time he walks into the party with those people because he wants to win them. I think we should follow him every time he walks by the rich and finds the poor. I think we should follow him every time he walks by those who have to those who have not. Every time he walks by those who think they get it to the ones who know they don't, I think we should just keep following them to it and seeing where it takes us. Because the gospel, the story tells us where it takes us. It takes us to people being restored and redeemed. And that's the whole point. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.